Welcome to another episode of You Are Not a Frog, A Social Dilemma. On this episode, I'm joined by Dr. James Tambaraja, and we talk about a powerful documentary on Netflix, which we've watched recently called The Social Dilemma. Now, this was recommended to me by a friend who'd watched it, who was becoming increasingly concerned about the, about the amount of time that she and her family were spending on their phones. And the documentary features interviews with some of the, the founders and some of the early workers in, in these technology companies, such as Twitter, LinkedIn and Pinterest. And the documentary is all about how they made the tech addictive. Did you know that your focus attention is what they're after? You are the product. They just want more clicks and they've used very advanced psychology to get this. And as a result, we're more addicted than ever to our phones. We waste so much time and attention on social media going down rabbit holes. And more worryingly, we are coming, be becoming much more polarised as a society. And the mental health of our teenagers is really, really suffering. So I talked to James about all of this and we discuss how tech has been so divisive and has been so addictive to us. We talk about the difference between digital vegetables and digital candy and we talk about how we can get out of our own digital echo chamber. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turn executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60 minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. So it's really great to have with me back on the podcast, Dr. James Tambiraja. Now, James is a portfolio GP. He's also on the faculty of the RCGP Southwest Tens area. So welcome back, James. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We were just saying it's been about a year since we last had you on the podcast. And since then, you have a, a baby. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's um, last time I spoke to you on this platform, my wife was expecting any day at that time now my son Peter's now is going to turn one in about 10 days time wow. so it's been a been a crazy but fun year gosh and and having a baby in lockdown that must have been you know gosh challenging I think I would say yeah it has been a struggle but at the same time I've been 
more, I suppose, invested with the baby because I've been around more. So mm. that's been helpful. So, I mean, work has carried on. The GP, as you know, for me, has been very busy, but at least, you know, I'm not distracted by other things I would have normally done uh, mm. in the evening because I've been at home. Yeah, I think that's one thing. We have all connected more with our families, which I think for my my teenagers, it's <laughs> a good thing. They're like, I'm so sick of my mother and my father and I just need to be out of the house right now. But talking of teenagers, one of the big battles we have with teenagers is, of course, phone use and screen mm-hmm. time and social yeah. media. And we are getting together today to talk about social media screens all those sorts of things off the back of a brand new documentary it's not been out for long has it on Mm. on netflix called the social dilemma and i watched that the other day with my kids in fact it'd been recommended by a lot of my friends i said you must watch it and get your kids to watch it and i thought how on earth am i going to get my kids to watch it so i basically i bought a massive tub of celebrations and i said to them i'm going to watch this netflix documentary this is what it's about I'm not going to force you to watch it. But I've got the chocolate. <laughs> I said, you're not having any unless you're in this place watching it with me. And they were like, mm, I really don't want to do that. And, but yeah. they sat down and they had, um, I think my son ate about 20 of those small celebrations in about five minutes. He's, he's 14, <laughs> so he's growing hollow legs. Yeah. Yeah. But they watched it and they watched it all the way through, all hour and a half of it. And they were like, yeah. oh my, at the end. So when, when did you get to see it? I think shortly before, I think maybe last week or, you know, a few days ago, and I rewatched it again in preparation for this as well. Yeah, it's, it hasn't been out for a long time. I remember reading a review about it in the New York Times when it came out in September. And I thought, oh, I'll put that on my list to watch. And, and I think I hadn't got around to it. And then I watched it recently and I thought it really struck me, I think, in many ways, which we'll probably go into, obviously, just but just the scope of the issue, yeah. the scope of the problem regards to screen time and social media and not only how it's affected our social life but how it's affected our politics and our news feeds and how we interact with one another so Mm. it was really an eye-opening eye-opener for me I mean some of those things I knew but in a more let's put it this way the documentary was really well put together uh, because they they advertised it as a documentary slash uh, hybrid drama so there was a bit of drama inside which I liked I mean Netflix Mm. is very good at doing these things Mm. So for me, I felt captivated that I was watching a film as well as a documentary. And I'm a film buff. So for me, it ticked all the right boxes. But yeah, I I thoroughly enjoyed it, even though the message was very serious. Yeah. So James, for those listeners that haven't seen it, could you like summarise it in three sentences? What was it about? Well, I suppose it's it talks about the social dilemma. It talks about how social media and these tech companies have an influence on our lives, day-to-day lives, and how we access social media whether it be mainly through our phones or through computers and it talks about how you know it talks about at one point it talks about the goals of these tech companies talking about their engagement with us and how they want to grow as companies and basically how they get advertising and to kind of monetize our kind of data and how they can manipulate us to kind of click on that or search for that like or you know self-cater our news feeds and so essentially it's just the effects of these tech companies and how it's grown to a point where it's very difficult to control and you you see that with misinformation uh, in politics you see that with interference with elections for example at the moment the US elections and the Russian interference misinformation about COVID which has been a big problem in the last few months as well and that's been through WhatsApp and social media feeds so it talks about that as well and so I think it's 
to summarize, I think it's the effect of, it's the effects of social media and these tech companies have on our lives. And we don't realize it's having an effect on our lives. And that's what really scared me. The fact that it's so subtle, it's not a sledgehammer. It's a gradual kind of infiltration of your lives through kind of, and using kind of, they call it data mining, which I don't like that word, but it's kind of data mining your mind about what you want to see and what you want to do. So I suppose, does that make sense? That yeah. Kind of works, yeah, yeah, no, that's a really good summary. Uh, they talked about the fact that, you know, any product has a, well, has a product, you know, and any any company has a product that they make money from. And the product that these tech companies make money from is us. Uh, it's yeah. us and it's our attention. And that mm. I've, I've read a lot of really good books about this recently in terms of our attention. And mm. people are saying exactly the same thing. There's a really good book called Indistractable by Nir El and Rangan Chatterjee did a podcast with him yeah. about this, about how you focus. And he he says, yes, our focus and our attention is the product. And of course, these companies have to make money somehow. They make money through advertising. Yeah. And the more time they can get you to spend on their product, more attention, then the more exposure they get to the advertisers, the more money they make. Yeah. So what they've developed is these detailed algorithm, algorithm. algorithm yeah. ugh, can't even say it, yeah. algorithms to keep you clicking. And yeah. to keep your interest. And the problem is because we are human beings is that our interest is peaked when it's, you know, someone might like us or mm. other people like, you know, so if we're tagged in something or someone's liked something, that's that's dopamine. So that keeps our interest. Yeah. But yeah. Also, our interest is peaked by sort of novelty and mm. sort of extreme stuff as well. And yeah. so these machine algorithms and they're in their AI as well so they learn they learn yeah. how to keep your attention yeah. are feeding us stuff constantly that's going to keep our attention not stuff that they think is good for us yeah. <laughs> it's purely stuff to keep us looking at our screens as opposed to focusing on other people or talking to people in the room and I think the documentary illustrated this really nicely what it, it did it had a mock-up family a couple yeah. of kids a teenager a mum yeah. and then they had some sort of avatars that were behind the scenes thinking how can I keep this person's attention yeah. and yeah. I think a particularly important scene for me was they had two boys of teen probably 13 14 year old boys sat together in the canteen at school and they were talking to each other and then these these avatars behind the scenes were going hang on he hasn't picked up his phone for five minutes let's yeah. let's just poke him with something oh I know there's a girl sitting near him that he looks at quite a lot on social media so we'll mm. just poke him and say give such and such a wave so he then gets an alert to his screen and he goes oh oh she's I'm gonna she's liked something that I've put up so I'm gonna comment back and meanwhile while he's doing that because his friend sees that he's on on his screen his friend just picks up the screen and then you just pan back to both of them just sat there on their phones not talking to each other where they were before and that for me it just was like oh how often does that happen to me when mm. I'm with people or when I'm yeah. with my kids or my family I, I don't know what you thought about that particular well, I, I just think yeah absolutely I agree I think it's just the social norms have changed so much in the space of 10 or 15 years where I think we're finding it more and more difficult to interact with one another intimacy has become a big problem everything is online even you know dating which is not a problem but everything is now online on your phone and so we are losing those skills that were passed down to us or taught to us by my parents for example it, you know it, it becomes a problem really if, if our kids can't look people in the eye I was listening to this podcast this parenting podcast the other day um, where this family uh, were talking about their kids going to a restaurant and kind of making sure that you know they order 
from the menu themselves and they asked the waiter and say please and thank you and then they went to a restaurant and they looked around and all the kids were on their phones or their devices and I remember that kind of really rung true to me is that we went to Bushy Park about a year ago and we do have devices this is at a time where my children are a bit younger and I had devices for emergency but the battery was dead it's like you know what we'll just take some books you know Thompson's packaging books or whatever and we went to Bushy Park a lovely big cafe so we'll get a you know get a coffee and some cake my son and I were the only people without a device all the other kids were on devices or iPads and Kindles and we had a book and we and I found that really shocking so I think I suppose that really kind of hit home for me as well the interaction with one another and it, it talks about I think in the documentary I made some uh, I made a note where you know our primary connection now with others is through online connections and that made me really sad you know and I just think you know and I don't know whether that's going to change or whether that's something we have to adapt to it's you know you can't arrest kind of advanced technology or you know AI but I think we need to learn how to do both and what you said about AI was really interesting because it said something about the Terminator in, in the documentary you know when we think of AI we think of probably kind of the T2 from Terminator 2 coming back and being really angry and being really kind of evil and kind of you know killing and all that kind of stuff well actually AI is, is, is very subtle it's more kind of getting into our news feeds you know for example I was looking for trainers the other day and I was googling trainers like you know and then I was on Instagram and then my feed's full of kind of sports direct and JD sports ads for the latest trainers right and that scared me because I think okay I looked at it a few days ago and you're still showing me ads of, of something that I want and something that I feel like I need and suddenly that perpetuates a kind of that we talked about dopamine that dopamine hit oh I need to have that so I need to and that's a shopping thing and so I found the addiction side of it very interesting as well you know so yeah so I think yeah we're talking about that it was nice to see that family in that documentary because it kind of made it more real I suppose and that thing about dopamine is really interesting because and they they talked about this and I've I've been reading about this somewhere else so they did an experiment with chickens where they got them to one group of chickens if they pecked on a a button they got a piece of grain or they got they got reward and every time they pecked they got a piece of grain there's another set of chickens where they pecked on a a button they might get nothing they Mm. might get a piece of grain they might get loads of grain but it was completely random Mm. and so the 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 chickens that were in the random group pecked much more at the at the button than the chickens that knew that they would always get what they wanted it's this sort of slot slot machine type mentality it's much much more addictive so when you pick up your phone like I don't know if I look at my phone if I'm going to have three whatsapp messages none or you know how many likes am I going to have on Facebook it's this sort of random thing that keeps us addicted and the really interesting thing is that this isn't like hasn't just arrived like that by chance. Yeah. Like they had courses. Uh, was it Stanford? They had courses yeah. at Stanford yeah. Yeah. on how to make people addicted to your product. Yeah, and um, it's, it's interesting because you say that because they were going through their algorithms because very much like this, like you said the slot machines in Las Vegas on the casinos and they were kind of those things that keep on wanting you to pull that handle. They use that same kind of technology and that same kind of algorithm for our news feeds. And, you know, they talk to the guy who invented the like button. They talk to the guy who, you know, who, when you see someone typing a reply back, you say, oh, they're typing. Yeah, oh, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Oh. And then all those things kind of trigger something inside of you thinking, oh, I need that and I need that. And for me, this is, um, I think it's been a personal journey for the last couple of years. I realized I was too addicted to my phone. 
I think, you know, I realized that with my kids, I would come home and I was on my phone, I'll be talking to them. And without even thinking, I'd be checking an email or checking it because I've been at work all day and I've been, and I realized actually, it's almost like the phone had become part of my hand. And so I made little steps in my day-to-day life, for example, just putting my phone away when I come into the house. There's, we have a little basket with keys, which we probably shouldn't put it near the door, but that's another story. <laughs> so as soon as I come in the house, I just put the phone there and I just go upstairs and talk to the kids or whatever, because I think for me, it's out of sight and I can't touch it. Similarly, you know, I just think putting my laptop away or kind of switching it off or, you know, putting an airplane mode, it helps me, you know, and I think otherwise now, just as, as I was talking to you, my phone just buzzed and it's there and I'm very tempted to kind of reach out for it yeah. but I'm not going to because that would be hypocritical uh, what we're talking about <laughs> well done um, very good self-control yeah but I want to know ooh someone sent me a message ooh yeah. that notification uh you know and it's just one of those things where I think you know it, it is a continual process of kind of learning how to adapt to these kind of devices and social yeah. media dare I say addiction and it's really hard, isn't it? Because these things are, I mean, they're really good tools. And the, the guy on the documentary has started this thing called the Center for Ethical Technology. He's a really yes. good guy, wasn't yeah. he? But he said that, you know, actually, a lot of this tech is absolutely brilliant. It's yeah. really great that I can click on where I am and order a car to come and pick me up within five minutes. You know, brilliant technology. And we need to use it as a tool, you know, so I think it's great to be able to be in a group chat with my family where I can sort of share articles and, and talk to them and catch up with them. And I'm, I'm in touch with them much more than I used to be when it, when all you had was a phone call. Yeah. So it's really good. And the problem is, like you said, if I'm in the kitchen, I use my phone to listen to podcasts through yeah. the speakers. I use it to find out music. I use it to listen to radio, to the news. I use it to find recipes <laughs> I, and I use it to reply to all the school emails. So actually often I'm sort of sat in the kitchen thinking I'm spending time with kids and I'm looking at a recipe or listening to music. So I'm not even doing work, but to them, how do they know what I'm doing? How do mm. they know I'm not just on Facebook or Twitter or, or doing emails? Yeah. And so I'm constantly saying, you know, we have this rule in our family that we do try and not have our phones out and we put them away for meals and all that. Mm. But, you know, I'm cause, oh, I'm just on it because, you know, my husband will go, I see you're on your phone. Why, why is that? Oh, I'm just, and that phrase is I'm just, doing such as I'm I'm just I'm just you know I'm just responding to someone because he's had a bad day well do you need to do that now because I'm sat here having a cup of tea with you you know ordinarily it's very insidious how it creeps into our lives isn't it yeah and I think like you said I think getting into good habits about your children can only follow your example I think so if I'm on my phone on a device I think it took my son saying oh you know that you're always on your phone this happened about a year ago, two years ago, and I was just like, that really hurt me. And I was just like, well, and I feel like I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And so that kind of prompted me to kind of put, put my phone aside. And sometimes I would just joke with him, look at my hands, there's nothing in my hands. So I just showed it to him. Mm. And for me, that helped me. I know that sounded really silly, but so he now knows. So, I mean, that's, you know, that's a funny side, but it's kind of more, I think it's very important that we we lead by example because we were you know i think it's it's not just our children but it's us as well you know we can be addicted to social media or kind of sending that email and like you know like the documentary said you know google gmail and there's an addiction to emails are kind of reading an email what's read what's unread and the colors that they use everything has been designed so that you can see that on even social media send you emails so social media would say mm. someone has put a picture that's tagged you with that's like oh but that's not even the picture's not even there it's like yes. a little 
it's like a little thumbnail to the big picture. So you have to go into your email, read the email, then go into your social media. And so I think that these tech companies, you know, they're not designed to, I think that it says in the document, they're not designed to look after your well-being. They're designed for you to click on that yeah. and then see that ad. It sounds manipulative, but that's the truth, really. They're not there to look after your well-being or to your mental health. And then that becomes dangerous when we start thinking about, you know, you mentioned that family in the documentary talks about these preteens and the statistics were shocking. I was talking to my sister about this and she's a perinatal, you know, psychiatrist. And, you know, we talk about the mental health issues. I always used to think it was just teenagers. And then I was shocked to see self-harm had gone up 160% in preteens. That's 10 to 13s. And then, mm. and suicide had gone up by, you know, just a little bit less, 150%, mm. 150% since like 2010 or 2012. And, and that's all that can be correlated with, social media and preteens and teenagers, adolescents having phones. And I think, you know, it's really good, you know, in this country, in the UK, where we are, uh, the Royal College of Pediatrics brought out some excellent guidance last year about screen time, you know, and talking about how it affects your family, you know, you know, how it affects your activities that you do, you know, and I think that's been really helpful, actually, how it interferes with your sleep. So I found that guideline really useful. And I try and share it when I can in my practice, because I think it's really important. I think that came out January of 2019. And I think that's really important because that gives you good advice and there's good infographics and good PDFs as well. We'll put that link in the show notes. I think that'd be helpful. And we we struggle. And I think these preteens, I think they're particularly susceptible because they don't have any of the filtering mechanisms. They don't have any of the... Well, mind you, not of teenagers, but they have even less. You know, my my daughter's obsessed with TikTok. In fact, at some point, she was walking around with this funny jerk. She was kept going like this. Yeah, I was like, "What are you doing?" And it was just the TikTok dances. Like, okay, well, now it's okay. And they become so influential. And you talk about you know how influential that's become, and you know, especially in America with the kind of election as well, and you know, and all that company. And so, but it's interesting because when I was growing up. We didn't have social media. So mobile phones would, you know, were just coming in. And I had my first mobile phone when I went to university when I was 18. So I never had a phone until I went to uni. But now I'm terrified for my daughter, who's eight. The fact that, you know, normally when you go to school, dare I say, when I was growing up, all the stuff at school was at school. And when you get home, you you had your safe haven. Yeah. Yeah. And now the fear for me is for my children and for everyone's children, I suppose, is just that when you come home, it carries on. You know, the, the pressures, the social pressures, the anxieties from school and looking at Instagram, looking at likes. And so suddenly there's pressure at home to kind of put up this facade or this filter of what your life should be like. Whereas, you know, when I was growing up, it's just going home and just dealing with my family, you know, which was <laughs> which is, is, so I think that is the biggest change, really. And I think that's why we're seeing so many increased risk of depression and mental health issues in our preteens and you know, adolescent teenagers. Yeah, I'm sure that's true because, you know, you're on your phone, you're seeing all your friends are meeting up without you or there's a conversation going on and you, and you think it's difficult. And I think I mean, one rule we've always had in our house is no phones in the bedroom. Yeah. And, and that has been really good. Actually means our kids actually sleep. And I know yeah. so many kids have got into problems with real mental health problems because they have been up all night on the 
on the yeah. WhatsApp or that that's when online bullying goes on. That's when all the, the really yeah. difficult stuff goes on. But I think, you know, when I do my resilience courses, when we talk about sleep, the one thing I say to adults, and there's always like at least 50% of the room have their phone next to their bed because they use it for an alarm clock. Yes. And, you yeah. know, and I'm like, my other half still does this and I'll wake up in the morning and be six and he'll be on his phone looking at stuff yeah and I think it's so bad for you and I just because the problem is you go to set your alarm in the night and you think oh hang on what what have I got tomorrow let's check my diary and oh I haven't <laughs> replied to that text or email suddenly you've done half an hour extra of work yeah. and it's all going through buzzing through your mind it's really bad and that, that's a, quite apart from the blue light and the melatonin yeah, yeah exactly disruption yeah. But so it, I always say to people, yeah. the one thing you need to do is just buy a really simple alarm clock. So I have a digital alarm clock next to my bed. It'll only pay one crappy radio station that wakes yeah. me up every morning with the traffic yeah. news. But that's it. That's it. And honestly, it's done really wonders good. for me. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think we have put a new Alexa, <laughs> other smart speakers are available, uh, <laughs> um, by our bedside. Um, so it has an alarm and it wakes up to... You know whatever artists I like and that's kind of been quite nice for us wife myself and so otherwise yes because the phone will know oh you were asleep between this time and this time and it's almost as though the phone is like that documentary is kind of monitoring you you know if we can reduce that then we have we'll have healthier lives we'll sleep more we'll interact with our families more you know there's mm-hmm. a study in in kind of I think Journal of American Medical Association Pediatric last year and it, it talked about the correlation between not just screen time and depression, but there are four types of screen time. So there's social media, TV, video games, and computer usage. And it talks about how each of these different screen times can increase rates of depression. And I just thought, you know, sometimes you don't realize how many screens are in our lives. And I remember reading that study and I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, yes, not just one screen, there's multiple screens in our lives. So it's kind of be a computer screen or be it a TV, we don't have a computer games console in our house at the moment, but that's something that I'm Just talking about. Yeah, Thanks. we talked to my wife about it because I I can only think about what I went through. So I had a Nintendo and Super Nintendo when I was eight or nine, and my daughter's getting to that age now. And I know a lot of her cohorts are having PlayStations or Nintendo Switches. So for me, that's a new hurdle that I'll have to navigate. And all, of course, unlike my day, these games are online now. Yeah, I was going to say it's really difficult with this whole games console thing because my son has an Xbox mm. and he is 14 mm. and that is how he communicates with his friends because yeah. he sits there with a headset and chatting yeah. to them. Yeah. So through lockdown, like we were trying to limit his screen time, you know, no more than this amount per day. Yeah. But that actually meant we were limiting his interaction with his friends as well. Yeah. So if he couldn't be on his Xbox, it wasn't about being addicted to the video. It's about, well, they're all be having conversations and I'm not going to be there. And they, they talk around the game that they're playing. Yeah. And I think girls, it's, it's not quite as much like that. Girls tend to be more on the the, the chats and the things yeah. like that. And Whereas the boys, actually, that's the way they do their social interaction. So it's not quite as straightforward as going, right, blanket ban on screens or there's this much because you're stopping them and we felt incredibly guilty but we did you know we did in the end have to say you know darling it's really not good for you to be on the screen for 12 hours a day you know he wasn't quite that bad but you know it got pretty bad during lockdown because actually what else what else can you do you know you're gonna have your hour of exercise also there's that dilemma of that and also Rachel what you know we're going into a second lockdown in this country at the moment but the first lockdown, there was no school. So a lot of the kids were doing homeschooling. 
and they were doing homeschooling through a device, through screen time. Yes. So suddenly now I was reading articles about what do we do now? Because for all this time we've said, I think the Royal College of Pediatrics said no more than two hours or one and a half hours or whatever screen time per day. I can't remember. I have to look at it up. But now we have children who are remote learning on a screen for several hours. So how do we kind of, and I don't know the answer to this, but how do we regulate that? How do we make it healthy for them? Can we kind of put, incorporate breaks? Can we go outside? But now it's going to be tricky because it's winter. It's going to be darker. You know, we, you know, in the summer we were able to go out, but now it's, you know, today has been a very chilly morning. So it's the kind of thing where it's definitely going to be more challenging moving forward throughout the winter. Thankfully, you know, kids are going to school, so that's one less thing to worry about. But I do think we have to re-navigate the goalposts regards to screen time because mm -hmm. we have to think about what to do. And also it depends what they're looking at. So again, I was listening to this parenting podcast aptly called Dad Tired, <laughs> which sometimes I feel like as a father of three and a one-year-old. And he talks about, the guest, she was a child psychologist, and he talks about digital vegetables and digital sweets or digital candy. Okay. Oh, like that. And it talks yeah. about, you know, the, the challenge, especially during lockdown is with your children is what, what are you feeding them digitally? Are you feeding them mm -hmm. digital vegetables such as FaceTiming your grandmother or kind of learning an instrument or learning a language? You can do that through YouTube and things like that. Yeah. Or is it kind of digital candy or for, you know, for us, digital sweets or chocolates? Is it kind of going on YouTube or is it going on, Instagram or social media yeah. you know or is it kind of going on Facebook and I just thought that was really interesting because there's good screen time and helpful screen time which kind of builds you up and and builds up others you know for our children and ourselves yeah. or is there kind of digital sweets where it's just that constant addiction we want it and that immediate hits and suddenly that dopamine but it doesn't really kind of fortify our kind of soul and mind and mm -hmm. I think that's really it really struck me and I just think that's important so you know it's about kind of encouraging what our kids' gifts are and what they want to do. And similarly with me, I learned a lot from that as well. So, yeah. for example, I'm trying to, you know, FaceTime or call my friends more as opposed to just talking to them through social media, which mm. is very easy to do. You yeah. can just talk to them through yeah. a messaging app. And so I'd rather kind of just, you know, I called my friend the other day, he's a GP, and like, how are you doing? How's it going? You know? Yeah. So I think yeah. thinking about how we consume digital information and how we can use that digital information to kind of improve our daily lives. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you cannot say screen's bad. But I love the idea. Is it a, is it a digital vegetable or is it a digital screen, candy? And yeah. it's okay to have a bit of candy, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's consuming yeah. everything. Yeah. So it's interesting. So there's we've talked a lot about the effects of screens on our well-being and our children's well-being. And I think that's a good enough reason to try and sort of cut down on the digital candy. I think there's another really important thing that we've sort of touched on already. I talked about in the, the social dilemma, and that is the effect on polarizing society and extremism and our points of view, you know, because we're right in the middle of the American election at the moment. And I'm looking at some of the voters and thinking, how can you believe that? How can you think that? Yeah. I do not understand. But as it was shown really helpfully in the in this in the documentary, you know, if you start looking at certain things online and you click through to certain things, the, the machines will learn what you yeah. like to look at. They'll feed you more of the same stuff. Yeah. Which and what do we like to read? We like to read stuff that reinforces what we believe and our values and mm. all that sort of stuff. So you start to read more of this and then it feeds you more of this. And very soon you're stuck in this complete 
bubble where the only stuff that you're reading or seeing is stuff that agrees with your point of view and then so you can actually see how someone might get stuck down and I can see it myself you know I'll read articles from the Guardian and from you know all that and and eventually I'm thinking how can anyone else not have this point of view well of course they don't because they're not reading that they're reading something else and it, and it's shown they've shown with the graphs about how divisive it is in america so it's yeah. more polarized society is more polarized than it has ever been before and it's terrifying absolutely i i think that is a real danger because we've become so polarized it talks about in the documentary tribalism as well okay uh, to the point where in the document talks about these policies especially in the states where you know democrats can you know can't stand republicans and vice versa and, and suddenly you, you look at your social media feeds, it becomes an echo chamber of what you want to see and what you want to process. And that's how a lot of people these days get news. And, you know, I say the older days, before Facebook, we used to get our news by getting newspapers. And so my dad used to get the Times and I used to read the, my dad's Times at home when I was a teenager. Now, in the Times, they have all sorts of commentators, all sorts of opinion pieces and news and a bit of everything, a bit of sport. Now, like people get their, so, you know, if you look at my feed, even my Twitter feed, there's things that I like and there's things journalists. And I try and, one thing I like from the documentary, one of the things right at the end was kind of follow people that you disagree with. Yes. And I thought that was really important. So what I've done recently was follow the opposite side. So I kind of follow, you know, I suppose I'm, you know, more liberal. And so I'd kind of focus kind of, right-wing politics as well and I follow Fox News for example and just see what the other side was you know so it'd be interesting to see how the others think and also looking at you know I don't know about your family Rachel but my family will be sending all sorts of things through WhatsApp and, through yeah. and sharing things and and I'm like well how did you get to that and then rather than me just being dismissive and just saying oh that's rubbish or I don't understand that's wrong for me Another thing for the documentary was actually take that time to Google it, to fact check it. And that that's not just about, you know, disseminating information, that's receiving information. So if I receive something rather than just me being dismissive, it's like, well, actually, okay, let me just have a look at it. I think one of my relatives sent me something and I just was so tempted to say, oh, this is really bad. Why are you reading it? I actually took a day or two. I kind of took some time, read that article and kind of I looked at the background of that article you know, it was formed from conspiracy theory. This was about COVID, actually. This was about right. a few months ago, about vaccines and corporations and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And actually reading around it, and there were some elements, like many of these things, there's elements of truth there, but then someone kind of just blows it yeah. up. And then, you know, so I think we all have a responsibility to look at what the other side is doing, you know, because unfortunately, you know, we we don't all look the same. We don't all think the same. And so I think it's important that we realise there are differing viewpoints. But unfortunately, our social media feeds tell us otherwise. You know, we just look at, and, you know, in that documentary, you saw that teenage boy just kind of, you know, going deeper and deeper into his own echo chamber and listening to his own blogs and not, and then shutting out the world, which is very mm-hmm. sad. He was shutting out, you know, going to football practice or his family and things like that. And I thought it's very easy to just go down your own rabbit hole. And I've done it myself with social media, you know, even simple things like, sport i would just be following i'm a massive cricket nut so i love england cricket and you know follow england cricket sports i mean for years i've gone to ashes test matches and for for years i've just followed the english journalists and read their stuff and i thought well hang on a second you know there's lots of australian writers that i know are really good so i kind of follow them or read their books and i just realized that very simple simplistic way of looking at things but i thought 
that really helped me kind of articulate my views on cricket and England's performances because I was just seeing it through an English lens. Yeah. Whereas That's... actually now I'm looking through an Australian lens, I'm looking through a kind of international lens of how yeah. other journalists kind of saw that performance. And so I think the same can be said about the way you look at news. And I think you have to look at all different sides and then make your own decision. Yeah, I think, and you made a good point earlier that when we were reading things in newspapers, so I, do you remember the olden days in the doctor's mess where they'd yeah. subscribe to all the newspapers oh, and you'll yeah, yeah, yeah. break and you, you reckon you could get through the sun in about seven yeah. minutes. Yeah, yeah. But you'd read a story and you know it was in the sun, so taken with a massive pinch of salt, but you know where the biases are. Yes. You read the Tory graph and you yeah, know yeah. that that's what it is. And yeah. so you take that pinch of salt, you read the Guardian, but you know where the Daily Mail is coming from, you know where yeah. other things are coming from. And you know where their biases are. Yes. On social media, you generally, it's not always obvious, is it? I mean, you sort no. of know if you, you know, again, you can follow the, the different newspapers and you've got some idea, but a lot of these articles, it's really, really insidious. And maybe we need to take more of an approach that we would be taking with the sort of, you know, we, we would with medical evidence, you know, mm. I remember when we were teaching medical students about, you know, how to look things up, because we, we look things up these days online all the time as doctors. Yeah. But actually, what we need to be teaching, so teaching students, not so much about remembering facts anymore, it's about yeah. knowing where you're getting your facts from and evaluating yeah. where they got those that evidence from. So but we're not applying that to the other stuff that we're consuming as well. Well, yeah, and I think that that's a really good point because I think getting all the facts is so important. Now, for example, you know, obviously we're during a pandemic. Do you remember in March when the French minister tweeted about ibuprofen? Do you remember that? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And so that spread like wildfire. I remember all the parents' WhatsApp groups, everything came on and about, they were all, because I'm the resident GP in the <laughs> WhatsApp group. And so, James, what, have you heard about this? I haven't heard about it. And suddenly now it became an issue where BNF and, you know, NHS England had to release a statement about it, but it all came from a tweet from a French minister, unverified, about ibuprofen. Yeah. And there was a great piece by Sir Llewellyn, uh, Llewellyn in the BMJ in, in March of this year about the importance of spreading misinformation and the, the importance of being careful of what seems to be expert advice. And I think we as doctors have a responsibility or healthcare providers, whoever, you know, of kind of passing on information. And I think it's really important, going back to what you were saying about getting all the facts before kind of sharing something. But it's so easy, isn't it, on these, like, especially Facebook, all you have to do is see a link. And But one thing I've seen in Twitter, for example, recently, which I think is quite good, I think it's a fairly new thing, correct me if I'm wrong. I'll see an article from a journalist, which I, which I kind of admire and respect. My immediate thinking is to share that article. But now it says, do you want to read the article first? Okay. So I'll see the headline and I'm like, oh, I'm really busy or, you know, I'm kind of on the bus or whatever. And, and, and I think that's really good because I have a tendency and I know I should hold my hand up. Oh, that journalist, she's really good. I'm just going to share it anyway. Mm -hmm. I know the gist of it. And that sounds awful. But I think we have a tendency just to kind of share something without reading the whole page. So you kind of read the top bit. So I think that's important. I think that's a good feature that they've added to Twitter recently. So I think, yeah, to go kind of summarize your point is that I think it's really important that we think because we're you know as a doctor I think about evidence-based all the time and I think it's really important that if we're looking after our patients with evidence-based medicine why are we not talking about information that we spread ourselves without kind of mm -hmm. looking at all the evidence and kind of looking at all yeah. the facts yeah yeah because that's what there is a dearth of in our societies it's truth yeah, isn't well, it? Yeah. There's if social media is full of alternative facts yeah. and alternative news, which like no one's calling out saying 
lies. These are lies. There yeah. are there is truth and there are lies. And we are responsible for checking. Yeah. And I know one of my favorite news presenters on CNN, Jake Tapper, uh, he said, which I think really struck with me, he said that truth is not a partisan issue. <laughs> and and that, that sounds crazy saying it, but it's got to the point now in our politics, both across the Atlantic and here, where saying something which is the truth, people say, oh, you're just kind of, you're being, you know, your your labor or your left wing or your mm. right wing. It's like, actually, no, this is a fact. Yeah. It's become so, and you talk about alternative facts, which kind of, you know, from, you know, from the States and that's, you know, those are lies. So it's unfortunately, we it's are in that point where we don't know. And unfortunately with our social media feeds, we don't know what is truth and what is fact, because a lot of these videos, which I saw, I think a video was sent to me, which was so well put together, Rachel, so well produced and graphics and it was about COVID. And I just thought, this is false. It just, it was all false. It was all kind of conspiracy theories and like it was a homemade remedy for treating COVID. And I was just, but it was done really well. Mm. So I can see that, you know, if someone read that, I can see how they would think that was the truth and they would think that, you know. So, and then sometimes patients come to me and and say, oh, doctor, I saw this video. What do you think about it? And I think it's important as, I mean, I see it as my duty to kind of think, well, let me have a look at it. Let me Mm. read it. Let me kind of digest it. And I'll get back to you on that. Because I don't think sometimes in the 10 minute consultation, especially on the telephone, we don't have time to do that. But I do think that's another obstacle and that's another Mm. skill we have to acquire as, for me as a GP, especially, whereas doctors where we have to kind of assimilate information in real time and try and kind of relay the truth to our patients, especially Mm. when it comes to their own health. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think when you talk about sort of, you know, truth isn't a partisan issue. Absolutely not. And, and there's truth and then there are opinions. And yeah. of course, you can have alternative opinions. Yeah. And what maybe the difficulty is, is separating out what is truth and yeah. what is opinion. And that's yeah. where we need to be quite canny and realise, ah, that, ah, that's an opinion. That's yeah. not truth. That's an opinion. No. No, truth is factually what happened. Like, did I walk across the road or not? Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and I think... Uh, you know, I think this is the problem now with social media where it's so polarised and it's becoming so tribalistic, uh, mm-hmm. as it says in the documentary. And it's become a real problem now, really, mm-hmm. that uh, we saw it in Brexit a few years ago in this country, you know, where families were kind of, I, I don't want to say torn apart, but, you know, families were arguing, you know, uh, about different points of the year of Brexit, you know, Brexit and Remain. And, and I think that was a real, you, you saw it then. And then obviously, you know, I think I saw the film of Brexit, sorry, Benedict Cumberbatch again. Now was using algorithms and using kind of mm, Facebook again. And mm, so I think there is dangers here that it affects not only our social lives and what we like on Facebook, it affects our politics, it affects the way we view news and also kind of the way we assimilate information. And I think that's, I mean, like you said before, I, I, it's not all doom and gloom. Facebook and social media has been amazing. You know, the fact that you can raise money for charity really well through Facebook. You can connect with others. You know, I, you can sell things over Facebook as well. I sold one of my old CD players. And, they, you know, it's just one of those things where it's, it's great. You know, you can connect with people and it's, it's a real gift. And unfortunately, you know, it can be used for ulterior motives and we have to be aware of that. So we're running out of time, James. We could talk about this like yeah. for ages. But 
if you were to have some top tips for people listening to yes. this podcast about what they can do to, you know, manage it for themselves, their family, their own well-being, and also to avoid getting sucked into these these echo chambers mm-hmm. to sort of try and, you know, try and stop what's going on, what would you say? Yeah, it's a good question. I think being aware of kind of screen time usage and actually realizing there is a problem. <laughs> I think many people don't want to admit that there's a screen time issue in their lives and that they're using too much of screen time. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it came about, you know, I you know, recognized about a year ago or a year and a half ago that I realized I was too addicted to my phone and screen time. So actually recognizing it as a problem, I think first of all, for me, was a big thing. So that would be my first top tip. Second thing is try and prioritize what's important for your family, especially during lockdown, is whether, mm-hmm. you know, my kids don't have phones, but they have Kindles and making sure that they're not reliant on that, kind of cutting down the times. And there is safeguards on these devices where you can kind of reduce the time mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So there's ways of doing it. But thinking about how our kids interact with one another and whether that is through phones or social media, and especially for teenagers as well, I think it's difficult. I think I, I don't want to say to stop it altogether, but I think think about how you use your devices. So we were talking about digital sweets and digital vegetables yeah i think that is my second tip i think that's really important for example okay if you don't want your kids to go down a youtube kind of social media rabbit hole why don't you ask them oh do you want to learn the guitar for example and then you could do like a youtube class do that and i think that's you're still using the same platform but you're using it for something incredibly more productive and i think that's important so thinking about how we use our devices you know Mm -hmm. properly so the second thing and the third thing is just making sure that you look after your well-being and mental health, really. And, and ask yourself, is it, are these devices really helping you with that? Ask yourself honest questions. And if you see either yourself or a family member becoming too reliant on it or becoming an issue, I think that's, a, that's something that we need to recognise early on, really. And we need to protect one another. Oh, and I know you said three, but the fourth thing I would say, sorry. And the next is, well, the, Very quickly, the fourth thing I would say is that misinformation is a big problem amongst in social media so realizing if you get something or you share something making sure that you take that extra second to google it or to fact check it because i think we have incredible responsibility in regards to the information that we share and that you know the information we see we can't do much about the things that we share onwards and forwards i think that's really important that we kind of you know we talk about evidence-based making sure that we do our own fact checking and we make sure we check the evidence you know there might be bits of it that are right but i think it's easy to be dismissive i think it's important if that means taking a bit longer to kind of make that decision or share that article or you know forward on that link that your cousin has shared with you i think they can wait i think it's important that we take time for ourselves to make sure that we know what we're sharing and how we're using our social media platforms yeah, thank you. I mean, my top tips are, well, firstly, just turn it off. Yeah. I mean, if your yeah. phone is outside, if you can charge it downstairs when you're upstairs, then yeah. you can't actually get it. You're not just going to reach it for it when yeah. you want your quick bit of digital candy. You're not going to be able to do that. So put it somewhere out of reach and turn it off. Turn off your notifications as well. And they yeah. talked about this in the thing, you know, if you're constantly getting notifications on the front of your phone or on your computer that, that people have tagged you or that you've got a new message or people like stuff mm-hmm. or then you're going to keep going. So if you just turn off everything, then 
you can only you'll only go on social media when you want to when you decide to go over there and look at it so that's really important thing and I think putting a limit on your screen time you're saying what do I want to spend a day because it's not necessarily bad but how much do I want to spend on that digital candy is important and then and then lastly I would say I think you know, help each other out. And me and my husband are, are trying to, and I can't say it's not really irritating, but trying to avoid fubbing each other. So fubbing is phone snubbing. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know what that was. Okay. Yeah, phone snubbing. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. It's phone snubbing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, but there, it's quite difficult to challenge people and I was listening to a podcast that, that gave some good advice about how to challenge so literally just say I see you're on your phone is everything okay so that's like I've noticed you are but is everything okay because I want to just like check uh, you might be on it because there's a crisis or something yeah and I must say it still irritates me but it's you know you know when I know when he says it, it's good intention it's saying yeah. you know I've noticed is everything okay and it's just flagging up but I've noticed and I think yeah that's really helpful yeah. so yeah uh, yeah and I think that those are really good tips Rachel thank you I think it's kind of putting it out of out of sight is really important you know I think that's what's helped me as well putting my phone away as soon as I come into the house I think I mentioned earlier before that's really helped me I charge my phone and I make sure the charger is furthest away or upstairs so I can because if I have charges all over the place I know mm-hmm. that I can see it and it's, I can I can hear notifications so I think making sure that you put a charger strategically placed far away from where you're going to be. I think that's really helpful for me as well. Yeah, yeah, great. So James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. If people want to contact you, you're on Twitter a lot, aren't you? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, it's kind of, (laughs) please don't go on social media, but do follow my... (laughs) You can use it for good. Yes, exactly. So I'm at J, my surname, J Thambi Raja on Twitter, at J Thambi Raja. Yeah, and also I do a lot. I'm a faculty board member for Southwest Temp, so we do a lot of stuff in the area as well. So yeah, that's one that's that's two ways you can get hold of me. Brilliant, great. Well, thank you so much for being on, and we'll have to get you back soon for another interesting topic. So have a great day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care now. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.